survive. Every stance we will in us. Swimming through the waters of Babylon like a rebel fist. Jogalist, specialist, critical and survivalist. Spirit heaven's fire from his lips. Burn slave driver. Welcome listeners to Time for an Awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This history and current events program from a cultural perspective, we find this program necessary because Hosea 4-6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people will turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all thy getting, get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timefornawakening.com which is the homepage and catch the live stream at that location. You can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream playing there also. You can go to a bb2me.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening and the live stream ought to be playing there. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. In that TuneIn search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening. There you'll see the icon. And you can stream your program live, even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities, audio auxiliary connection. Again, that's Time for an Awakening radio program. With the live stream on the TuneIn app, drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Com. Time for an awakening also has a fan page on Facebook in that Facebook search engine. Just type in time for an awakening uh, radio program there. You always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. It's time for an awakening radio program at the fan page on Facebook and time for an awakening media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs. On time for an awakening media, interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also, check out that time for an awakening marketplace in our partnership with the BB2Me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's time for an awakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.08 here in this uh, rainy winter night uh, and Sunday evening in Philadelphia. We're in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening, the November 27th edition of Time for an Awakening. And uh, we had a last-minute cancellation of our guest this evening. Uh, I guess we'll have to reschedule her and bring her on, but uh, it's no problem. You're the special guest this evening. Anything that's on your mind, you can give us a call. We'll talk about it. We've got a couple of issues that I'll kick out there, and I know Brother Brother Richard always got something to put out there on the table. So we'll be right back to get the program started 
after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company? Headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not where you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. 
the relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's uh, 713 here in this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and North Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing all right. You know, I had one of them uh, technical spasms, and you know, getting getting a new phone is always getting a new getting a new uh, mini computer, I guess, um, that we're all carrying around. But uh, overall, you know, um, it was good. Everything everything's worked out, and uh, I'm just just cruising for the, for the, through the um, the weekend. It was a little long. I know everybody. Um, there's some who partaked in, you know. And, and whatever the the family gatherings they had, but um, everything was good. What about you? Everything's all right. Um, uh, these, uh, we aired the uh, the Simotep uh, forum yesterday. Uh, uh, Dr. James McIntosh, Brother Quabana, and, and uh, Professor Smalls was on. It was it was a uh, it was interesting dialogue. They uh, put together five demands that they were going to present to the NBA offices because you know the Simotep offices is right up there in New York City. Uh, uh, Brother Quabana had uh, put together the list of demands, and uh, they, they were going to present them. Um, I'm going to reach out to Brother Quabana also to kind of get him back on to uh, because he mentioned last week when he was on Richard about that poll that they did in reference to the right. music. So right. just to get him to uh, kind of elaborate on some of the things that he might not have gotten the opportunity to talk about last week uh, that kind of deals specifically with what he's doing because. Oh, great. Uh, his organization kind of teams with the uh, CMO tap to, to work on different issues such as this one and others. But, uh, I'm, I would reach back out to him and get to uh, get, uh, get him on to kind of talk about some specific things that, uh, they're doing in reference to a lot of this music. And it's, uh, you know, later on in the program, Richard, if we get an opportunity, I want to share some things, uh, in reference to, uh, what brother Quabner was talking about, uh, reference to, uh, uh, the music also. Mm. Uh, with our listening audience, because it was interesting. I uh, was talking to uh, a good friend of mine and a, f- a former guest who was on the program before, uh, Dr. Carlton Payne, and he shared with me some information that I want to share with the listening audience to kind of take a look at uh, to uh, and, and do some uh, little cursory research on it themselves. Uh, it was interesting, uh, some of the things that, uh, that he shared with me. Also, uh, we get opportunity later on in the program. I want to share with the listening audience some of what uh, Dr. Small said on the uh, uh, the virtual forum yesterday in reference to this issue with uh, uh, Kyrie specifically, and, and and he mentioned he did also mention uh, Kanye West or Ye. Um, shared uh, some of those segments with the listening audience, and uh, it was interesting dialogue between. Uh, former NBA player Etan Thomas and uh, Craig Hodges, who used to play for the Chicago Bulls, and uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf that played uh, uh, for Denver when he was playing. I, th- I think he played for one other club. He was a standout at LSU. Um, both of the men are no longer in the NBA and were forced out of the NBA. 
uh, he had a dialogue with them in reference to what's going on with uh, Kyrie and Kanye West. Um, uh, if I get an opportunity, I'll play a little segment of that. Also, <laughs> you know, um, Dr. McIntosh mentioned it last week, Richard, in reference to uh, um, Candace Owens mm. when, he, when he said a broken clock can be right twice a day. Now, listen, I've heard Candace Owens read a lot of her stuff that she puts in print, and I don't agree with 98% of the things or 99.9% of the things that she says and her stances on issues. But uh, I got to agree with uh, Dr. McIntosh. A broken clock is right twice a day. Uh, that ends, I don't know whether you heard what she said in reference to. Uh, no, I no, I heard him mention it last, uh, last week, but I didn't hear it. Well, exactly. I'll play it for the listening audience so they can hear what she said. And also kind of really listen to what she said because she made a statement there near the tail end of what she's, which, uh, her segment that I'm going to play. And she kind of alludes to, um, well, I, I li- listen, usually when I play them segments, I'll stop it anyway. Just if the people didn't catch it, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of play it again. So I'll, I'll do that when I get the opportunity to play it. But, uh, those are some of the things that I want to kind of throw in the conversation, uh, you know, as we move forward, uh, Richard, you see that, um, now they're doing assessments of these midterm elections, mm. a lot of the states. And I think Georgia getting ready to have their runoff again between, uh, Warnock and, and, uh, uh, Walker, Herschel Walker. But you see some of the, uh, figures that have been coming in. Right. And again, you know, Malcolm was a prophet back then when he said it. But the, the black vote is still the key factor in several of these elections. Yep. Yep. Oh, uh, they, they yep. make, go ahead, go ahead. They oh, make, no, 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 I was just, uh, I'm a, I, I apologize. I'm like a little excited because as we were talking about, you know, the midterms and it made me, um, you know, um, and I think you, you had sent me that the, um, the, what's that, the Pew report that was done in October to your point of how important a black vote was, right? Um, and and for those who are in Pennsylvania, but, you know, I hope everyone is looking, at least looking at the numbers in the states or counties that they're in to, to reemphasize the point that you're making about the black vote. It made me, it just so happened I'm going through, you know, um, a, a historical reading of the black vote and its importance in Pennsylvania in the 19th century. Right. Um, but it, it, and, and, and I wanted to be able to share, um, just how important it was and the reaction of, of, of the white constituency at that period in time. And that period of time I'm talking about was like 1830, 1837, 1838, but it started really after the Nat Turner rebellion, looking at, free blacks utilizing suffrage as they call it, or the franchise of vote. And I wanted to know if I could be able to, uh, you know, just go through that quickly, that period and the reaction to the point that you're making, how powerful our vote is in this political system and how we need to better. I don't make a, I don't want to make a judgment call, but better um, organize that vote to our self interest because sometimes I think people, um, this this is a personal assessment, 
um, people think just because we support the party and the party benefits, in this case, the Democratic Party, that black people benefit um, in general. And I don't think I don't I don't know. I don't agree with that. I don't know if you would agree with that, Elliot, that just because we vote in numbers and have a persuasive um, positioning, that that means the benefit of that comes back to us. Oh, no, absolutely not. And 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 in that last part, in that not not part of the problem, in that lies the problem, right? But go right. ahead, Bridget. And 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 the reason why I thought this was interesting, and and I hope for the time for waking the audience to because I think history um, is something that we should use to gauge our organizing ability, or at least our ability to analyze. And again, I'm going back to Pennsylvania. 1837. And the reason why that becomes um, important, because in Pennsylvania, we um, black people had the right to vote from 1780. Um, The gradual abolitionist law um, in Pennsylvania provided um, black people with the right to vote and not only the right to vote, um, black people not um, took the initiative. I don't know if uh, to build the organization, we call it the metropolis a black community. So they built wealth um, with that freedom. And and it was visible in the community, so visible that um, um, white immigrants were, um, you know, um, always, they call it rioting, but burning down the institutions, churches, businesses that we created. But this one particular uh, moment um, in Pennsylvania, and if I'll, I'll start here, Um, Bucks County Judge John Fox was perhaps aware of the public hysteria around the case. And it was a case going on around black voting, um, you'll see. But in his court decision, Fox all but ignored the racism factor. The particulars of the case was as follows. On October 10th, 1837, in the Bucks County election race for county commissioner, Abraham Fritz had 3,286 votes. And Jacob Conline had 3,261 votes. Perhaps quoting the plaintiff's testimony, Fox noted that between 30 and 40 votes were given by Negroes who had no right to vote. And that, and that's because um, at that period in time, the system that black folks created to liberate those who were enslaved, which they call the Underground Railroad, because Pennsylvania was a free a state where once you came in, you were considered a free person. Um, black people in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, specifically in those counties in between, were assisting um, those um, people who were self-liberating. Um, Fox noted that between 30 and 40 votes were given to Negroes who had no right to vote and that this number is greater than the majority, which that which the said Fritz had over over Jacob Kaline. In effect, the plaintiff was asking the court to decide whether whether illegal, i.e. black votes were cast in the election. But first, said Fox it was necessary to determine if African-Americans had the right for suffrage. Now, this is 1837, and it, and this is why um, I think it's important. So they had a meeting, you know, whites being upset. They lost um, this one elect, um, 
um, party. And at that point, it was the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party was tied to the Southern um, plantation or slaveocracy. But in Pennsylvania, you had um, um, whites who were aligned with the Southern slave states. Um, and they were a part of the Democratic Party. The other part of the, of, of the political machine at that time was the Whigs and the anti-Mason group, which blacks, black people were who were free, were um, in, especially in the counties. Philadelphia, um, you, you know, was a little hesitant because they were told by the abolitionists, because at that point, from 18, 1830 through 1835, um, the white Irish were burning up, um, burning down black development because of this success, the success of what was going on. And so um, white, some whites did not wait that long. Um, a week later, on October 28th, a second meeting of Buck County citizens was held at Buck County's tavern, Nekamots. And, is that, and you had um, uh, uh, informed me, Elliot, I wasn't clear, that that name of that uh, that place was a name of a uh, of a native ethnic nation that was in that area that they obviously um, moved out. Um, so it was interesting that, as you had said, um, that they would um, keep the name of of a people that they destroyed and took over their area and and. About 600 people discussed the resolution and the memorial drawn up since the late last meeting. Many were German farmers and mechanics who had not attended any public meeting for years, who declared that they were as ready now to, ma- to maintain and defend their sacred rights, and that is the right to vote, white votes, right, um, who declared that they were as ready now to maintain and defend their sacred rights as they were during the Revolutionary War. Every German township was represented. And and some people don't know that um, there were so many Germans, in, at least in Pennsylvania and in America at the time, that, um, you know, at least for Pennsylvania, it would have been c- considered a German state um, because of the numbers. And for those who are from Pennsylvania, you know, we hear about the, um, we hear all the time about the Quakers, but we never hear the impact and population of what, what we call the Amish um, that are German. So many people were present that the meeting had was was moved from the tavern to a large, um, com, 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 large place to be able to hold them. Now, and this is the part that got me um, in relationship to our power of voting, and and I've seen similarities today. So you hear Judge Fox; it was brought up because of. They saying black folks were, you know, illegally voting, right? And I think that even when we talk about Georgia, I think there was something um, through leading up to the midterm about the laws being changed in order to try to curtail the black vote um, from the perspective that there was illegal voting going on. So um, they um, put these laws in place. But what was interesting, as he had said, is not necessarily about the voting. He first had to find out if black people, um, as he said, African-Americans, had the right to vote at all. And, we, you know, and that was interesting to me that he's raising a question. It is not about um, whether they illegally voted. 
should black, you know, we consider black folks to vote at all. So he goes through his reasoning. And that's what I wanted to share because I thought that was interesting. Now, again, this is 1837 in Pennsylvania. Now, we know about the Dred Scott law with where, you know, the quote that is that we we understand and even we should always use where um, Chief Justice Taney said black folks have no rights that whites need to adhere to, right? Um, and here in this case, there's a right to vote. But this is the reasoning in 1837 that we see at, at a state level that we see magnified at a federal level. So let me go through with his reasoning. Next, Fox discussed the meaning of freedom, freedmen, as applied to African Americans. We must understand that the Pennsylvania Constitution makers, quote, had in view the Constitution of the United States, they adhered to it as closely as the difference of circumstances would admit, unquote. Article 4, Section 2 of the United States Constitution proclaimed that, quote, the citizens of each state shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities of citizens in several states, unquote. It was ludicrous to suppose, said Fox, that Southerners, would endorse a federal constitution under which a, quote, a free Negro of another state would have the right to pass into a slaveholding state and there be entitled to all the privileges and immunities of white citizens there, unquote. Fox said that the constitutional clause, quote, the people shall bear arms and et cetera, unquote, was certainly not written with African-Americans in mind. The 1780 naturalization law explicitly reserved, quote, the right to become a citizen to free white persons, unquote. All these examples, said Fox, prove conclusively that the federal constitution did not include the African-American within the definition of people, citizen, or freeman. Since Pennsylvania Constitution was modeled after federal one, black people were likewise excluded from state citizenship. Fox also argued that blacks were inherently inferior. Quote, their color continually recall their former condition and, and connects them with the rest of the race of race in servitude, while, in, while it produces a marked distinction between them and their former masters, unquote. Against the off-quoted phrase from the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal, Fox contended that the writers of those words were residents of slaveholding states, including Pennsylvania, therefore did not consider blacks to be men. Finally, Fox appealed to to law and custom in arguing against black suffrage. In most counties, African-Americans were banned from the polls. Thus, Judge Fox found no evidence that black Pennsylvanians had had possessed the, quote, charter or constitutional right for suffrage. And, you know, I think, Elliot, that that, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm, you know, um, being emotionally too tied to historical record. Um, I don't know if I 
I take too seriously um, law and the system of white hegemony as it relates to black suffrage. And I don't know if we as a political body within black people, within states, within counties, within, you know, local or, or local townships, whether we take seriously the power of our organized vote in our own self-interest and how that, and whether we take our economic standing and what we economically produce or not allowed to produce. And let me, let me end with the economic, the, the labor thing, because in 1837, remember I was saying between 1830 and 1835, white immigrants in Philadelphia particularly were burning down the institute deliberately burning down the educational institutions that black people um, built and operated in their own self-interest to teach themselves. They burnt down the churches where black people organized and were able to erect based off of their own um, labor. And they they went after the wealthy ones in Philadelphia. And let me say, just because they're wealthy, that don't mean all black people were um, economically wealthy. And I just wanted to end with not just showing the difference, the proportional difference of black economic achievement in the 1870s. I mean, we have in Philadelphia, um, in today's dollars, have created um, $4 million worth of wealth in uh, in few communities. We built um, churches which didn't exist before 1794. We built educational institutions that didn't exist. We had economic, um, we, we were skilled craftsmen in various areas of opportunity. And because of that, people who um, seen that politically as a challenge, this is why the franchise was being challenged. So, and, you know, and just to give a glimpse, you know, the growing prosperity of some black Philadelphians was not overlooked by the city lower class. And that means, as he said, to some European immigrants in Philadelphia, the Southwalk neighborhood, to use a racially divisive expression, was the home of the of the rich nigger, of the nigger rich, um, which goes into um, something um, else when we talk about naming nomenclature of why some people, uh, a lot of us have a challenge of this using the term because you see, and even at that time, it wasn't no term of endearment. And, and, but going on, it said, and upwardly mobile African-Americans. In reality, however, as historian Emma Lipensky contends, a great majority of black households had no real property and only negligible personal property. The wealthiest tenth of the population controlled 70% of the community wealth, which to me means that that wealthy tenth if they were building churches, if they were building schools, if they were <coughs> taking care <coughs> of those who couldn't bury themselves by insurance policy, they were looking out for black people in themselves, even though they were only 10% of the population. But you, you hear that the dichotomy. And I want to end with this, a Pew report in relationship to Philadelphia today and looking at 
a a um and and and, and if I didn't mention this that I'm reading comes from a um paper that was um, presented at the Pennsylvania Historical Museum Commission um, by Eric Lodell Smith. And the title of it is The End of Black Voting Rights in Pennsylvania, African-Americans in the Pennsylvania Constitutional Convention of 1837. So you heard the, the, the employment. Well, here in um, the, the Pew Report um, provides something that shows even from 1837-38, the proportional economic, the proportional income of black people, when we look at the numbers in 20 in 2019, it seems that we are no better off. And I'm just going to give this a snapshot, Elliot. And 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 you helped me. Um, you did help me um, make sense of this in trying to present it because I think it's so relevant of our power to vote. And how is it being translated? Because they didn't, they didn't have the power to, they had the power to vote, but they also had the economic ability and you seen what they were able to build. And it would between those two, the economic ability to build institutions and the power to vote um, was a threat to the point where they wanted to change the constitutional ruling, which they did. To, to disenfranchise black folks and burn down the institution. This is a Pew re, uh, report in 2019. Pew has defined middle wage jobs as those paying within 20% of the medium city wage. That is from $18.61 to $27.92 per hour as of 2019 or roughly um, 39000 to 58000 annually. Now, check that out. 20, 20%, and it's 39000 to 58000 By By that definition, about 145,000 people who work in Philadelphia, or 23%, that's 145,000 of the total population within Philadelphia, earn that Range. Now there's 400,000 black folks, which is low because black folks used to be over 600,000, um, not just 10 years ago. Now it's down to 400,000. But let me read that again. By that definition, about 145,000 people who work in Philadelphia, or 23%, that's not 23% black people, that's 23% of that total 145,000. Are, are making that middle income city wage, which is 39,000 to 58,000 um, of the city's workforce held middle wage jobs during the five year period leading up to the pandemic. If only 145,000, if only that is 23%, um, and that's total. One, I don't believe that the 145,000 black folks have a large share of that number one where, you know, and I think you, you raised that Elliot. So that means it's like 70, uh, 23. So 77% is either making above 58,000 or below 39,000 a year. 
Now, where I'll leave it as a question, and I would like um, for the Time for Awakening audience to look at those numbers where they are. But, Elliot, when we look at the politics, if we were utilizing those in our own best interest, should that number, should black folks be a large percentage of those who are getting that middle income annual salary? And do we think, I don't know if you agree, agree, Elliot, because I don't think black folks um, in large numbers are making above $39,000 a year in Philadelphia. Um, I don't know if you agree with that. No, the statistics say that they're not. That they're not making above that. Yeah, and it, and it, and it just goes to how the marriage of economic development and political, the electoral political franchise is for us the oldest ethnic group in general as a political economic body in America the oldest we we we're here we're the oldest and the largest and there should be no reason why when we look at 1838 and the power of the vote black folks had and the fear it infused using Pennsylvania and we look at the economic achievement of black folks had at that moment that we should be in this state. And when we, where you open with um, looking at Georgia, because Georgia was the contention of the midterm election, right? As one state and black folks involvement. And it's still now in this runoff. And they had to the point where they were concerned about black men, which, you know, black men came out at 84%. But the question of, is this, are we utilizing our franchise in our interests? And if we do, what should we be prepared for if we, as you started out to say, if we recognize what Malcolm was saying and we recognize that neither one of those parties work out in the best interest of black folks, what would that mean for us? And what does that mean to them, and is there any lesson in this example of Pennsylvania in 1838? That's that's, that's what I wanted to share. Hopefully, I didn't take too long, Ellen. Well, I mean, one of the lessons I see in what you read was the attitudes and perceptions mm. of the overall European society is not much different in 2022. Mm. which is almost 200 years because you see the same stuff going on. They don't use the same language that, that, that the uh, state uh, judge used at that time saying that black folks is not even worthy. They don't say that because they, you know, it's too much media now and they don't want to seem to be racist to the world's population, but the overall gist and attitude is the same. When you see states talking about gerrymandering votes and uh, trying to discount black votes all through the South and even in the North right? and even in New York City. You remember when I played that clip when the, the media person was asking uh, Jeffries about what was going on in New York. Mm. So when you see this stuff still happening, where they want to kind of discount black votes. Uh, that uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Act is, is dead. 
uh, DOA dead on arrival. When you see these things still happening, then, you know, it's like our people are on the treadmill here dealing with this society. It's a constant fight, generation after generation. And it's eventually going to end because this system can't stand. If we believe in any type of righteousness, this system that we live under cannot stand as it is. It was built upon evil. Human atrocities. Genocide. Theft. It's evil. So it can't stand. I don't care what people don't like. It ain't like, oh, you're talking against America. It is what it is. So if that's the case, then shouldn't we be in preparation where we're governing ourselves? See, Europeans don't think you can govern yourselves. In, in totality, they think black people are less intelligent. That's the reality. Or if they uh, cultivate a black person to run things, they tell them what they want black folks to do, and then they do it. Mm. But black folks get the perception that Richard White is making these decisions. Yeah, well, that's what it seems like. But Richard White is being told what to do, and he's doing what he's being told. Mm. Yeah, so if we're talking about moving our people there. forward, we have to make preparations to be able to govern ourselves. And even while the system is still here, we have to do it because it's blueprints that we can do it. It's plenty of, of, of uh, it's not plenty, but it's, 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 it's a, it's a, a black independent parties that's out here. And according to some of these few, st- few t- statistics, I'm sorry, it gives you, now let me read this here, Richard. On one of the things here, one of the points it raises, it says black voters, and this is based on the uh, 2022 and coming mm-hmm. out of the midterms. Let me read this fifth point here because there's, there's several points that they raise. Um, it says black voters make up made up nearly 46% of all eligible voters in the District of Columbia, uh, a higher share than any state. Other places where there are very large shares of black eligible voters are Mississippi at 35%, Georgia at 33%, Louisiana at 32%, Maryland at 32%. Now, we've had political scientists on James Lance Taylor uh, 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 and others that have been on this program to talk about uh, the percentages needed to basically take political control of areas. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're talking about, and I'm not talking about localities because there's plenty of localities in every one of these states where black people are the overwhelming population. But here it's talking about states, and it mentions four states and in the District of Columbia, which is not a state, but it's a part of Maryland. Maryland is one of the states mentioned there. That shows you four states where black people can take independent control of their political environment in those states. Now, white folks know this, so what do they do? They cultivate black candidates to run in these states. Mm Mm-hmm. That's going to put forth their missions, 
their aspirations and you'll just be window dressing. They'll, you know, they, they put out a couple of bills here and there where you think you're getting serviced. They realize what I'm saying here. They put a lot of times they put out these figures. They know what's going on. And they don't take into account the black people that are eligible but not registered. This is only registered ones, Richard. They're counting registered ones. Right. And you see large numbers of populations in these states that are registered. Uh, excuse me, that, that are already registered, not unregistered. Because you could see some of the missions of somebody that, like, for example, Abrams went around Georgia registering people that wasn't registered to vote. So there is a strategy there. Our ancestors use this strategy in reconstruction when they start taking control of certain areas. And the Europeans knew that the way the system is set up, you can do that. So what did they do as a repercussion? They came against them physically. Just like you mentioned about some of the things that was done up here. But I'm talking about in the South during reconstruction. They came against them physically. Wilmington, North Carolina, and other places where blacks had taken political control of areas. And they came against them physically. Burned the places out, uh, murdered people, uh, chased black folks from the areas, and then took political control of those areas. It's the same, the same strategy. 1838, 1668, if these people come against you physically and did what they did to our ancestors back then. Because there's enough weapons in these communities where black folks can defend themselves. Believe me, there are enough weapons. And this man has made sure there's been weapons put in these communities so you can use them on one another. Richard, I, I um, I, I want to uh, play a couple of these clips too while we still got some time, and uh, and I, I want to be able to come back to uh, uh, because there's some other points in that uh, that research that was done based on the November elections. That's kind of interesting to show that in several of these states, including Pennsylvania, where you had uh, oh folks running for governor and for Senate where black folks was clearly the key factor. I think New York was another state where it was the same way. In Louisiana, I think it was a state where, in fact, I think they voted to keep uh, slavery on the, on the docket, didn't they? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a lot of things going on where if you look behind the numbers, you really see what's going on. Richard, I want to play uh, a couple of these clips here before we kind of take some calls. Simotap um, had the virtual conference yesterday about uh, Kyrie Irving and Kanye West, and they introduced some platforms and planks. Uh, I 
that Brother Aquabanon had uh, said that they're going to take to the NBA offices in reference to this situation. Uh, Dr. Smalls is on, and I just want to place little excerpts of what he said uh, uh, during the uh, conference. I also want to play comments by uh, Candace Owens, and it was a podcast that Etan Thomas did with uh, Craig Hodges and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf that are very interesting. And it shows, it reminds me of what um, Kyrie Irving said, Richard, when he talked about uh, his generation, when he said millennial, black millennials mm-hmm. have to do something. You remember when he kept saying that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was talking directly to them. Directly to his generation of people. And he mentioned the age bracket. He said from 30, I mean, you know, he mentioned the age range. So he was talking about black millennials. So I want to play a couple of these clips. First, I'll start out with uh, Dr. Smalls and what he said in reference to uh, uh, what was going on yesterday and, and, uh, and see my taps, uh, 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 um, virtual form and some of the proclamations and, and, uh, planks that they came up with that they were going to present, uh, to the NBA offices. Now I, I didn't put that in. I just wanted to get the segment of Dr. Smalls, but I plan to put up the whole podcast on the website so people can hear if they didn't hear it live where they can hear what went on. But let me, um, pull up, uh, Dr. Smalls comments from yesterday. listening to it afterwards was the whole question then put the first amendment aside there is no historical evidence for the white community that claims to be Jews to claim ownership to the religion of the Hebrews there's absolutely no historical evidence anthropological archaeological or historical evidence that allows for anyone of European hue, heritage, and background to have ownership to the religions of the Hebrews that occurs at a period of time in Northeast Africa when they break away from Egypt. And so, so because you own something or claim something don't make you the owner of that thing. And the, that movie, I haven't even watched it because I don't need to watch it. I know the story. Okay? Hebrews are African people. Even white people will admit to that in any of their dialogue. They'll talk about the Bene Israel, meaning the Hebrews who migrated after white invasions into Ethiopia and southern Sudan. So they accept the reality of that. They talk about the fact that in their Bible, that Moses, this is their official literature, saying that Moses was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. Well, we know now the Egyptians, the Comexians, are African peoples. So they proclaim that everything that Moses brings to the table to create what we call the Hebrew culture and religion comes from Egypt. They acknowledge that. They acknowledge in their literature that Moses marries an Ethiopian woman 
a priestess. They acknowledge that. And so what we have to begin to understand is that let people not play with history. Kyrie didn't do anything wrong. This is a power play by people with power and money. Same people that murdered Sam Cook, by the way. The same people that probably murdered Otis Redding. These are the same people that murdered Tupac and Biggie. Let's stop playing. We know what the truth is. And these were all political and economic murders. Political and economic murders. To keep control of the distribution of an instrument of a culture, music. Music is one of the most powerful instruments of a culture. And a culture is the primary education system of a people. Okay, you're back. Professor Small, unmute yourself. Okay. So I'm going to be short on this. The key thing is that all of the, the history on the theology of the Abrahamic religions, all of the literature on it isn't produced until centuries after the literature in Kemet, which contains all of the components. From the Adam and Eve story, you find that in ancient Kemet. From the, the Christ mother-child story, you find that in ancient Kemet. Even the way the Muslims pray, you find those steps in ancient Kemet. All of that literature that make up the so-called Abrahamic religion, the Tenth Commandments, you find four or five thousand years earlier as the 42 admonitions of Ma'at. And so there is nothing in the literature that is called the Torah or the Bible or the Quran. There's nothing in that lit- body of literature that isn't already predated in written and sculpt facts on in stone by Africans tens of thousands of years earlier. And, and for them to pretend that none of this information that filled the museums of the world exists is pure insanity on their part or just plain fear and cowardice on our part that these invaders, starting with the Hyksos followed by the Hittite invasion, followed by the Assyrian invasion, followed by the white Persian invasion, followed again by the Greek invasion, the Roman invasion. It is that group of white invaders raping and molesting our population that produce even the brown skin element we call Arabs. This white skin element of Eastern European Khazars. And the literature is on the Khazars as a kingdom who was a mercenary kingdom that fought for any side that paid them, choosing Judaism or Hebrewism as a religious methodology. And they made a choice over, and they chose that this is after Islam coming to being, and they make that choice because they thought it was the, least, the most passive of the three. And so these people live basically in what we now call Eastern Russia. I think now they call them the Ashkenazis. And so now they dominate the land in the Middle East and then controlling both our music and our cinema in terms of the images that is displayed of African people. And again, whoever controls the images controls the minds and, 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 and controls the imagination of a people. And so we have to just give these young men, um, yeah, um, yay, have done a lot of off-the-board stuff. 
But let us handle his chastisement. Our enemy have no right chastising any of our children for any reason. And the one thing we need to be doing is doing more teaching of our history. History erases his mystery. I say that all the time. It sounds simple. But your history known to you erases their mystery, which controls and influence how you think. And so when you know and understand history, you can laugh at this, and it's better to organize your people. So the key thing is there's no facts that allows for anybody than Africans to hold claim to the Hebrew tradition, none whatsoever. The only evidence shows that the Africans are the only group that can put ownership on the Hebrew tradition so they can get upset all they want. Tell them come to the table with the historical facts, bring them, bring our historians, bring our anthropologists, archaeologists that sit at the table before the whole world. Show me that that's your identity, and I'll show you that that is my identity that you stole. And we got to be bold enough to tell them I'll be glad to give up my space at that table for Minister Farrakhan, you know, or sit beside him and just hand him his notes because we know what the truth is. All black people are not Hebrews, but all Hebrews in the original colony were black people. And we ought to be clear about that. That was uh, Dr. Smalls from yesterday. Uh, some of his portion. I can't play it all. Again, I'll put the podcast up so you can hear uh, all the presenters, uh, the comments afterwards. <clears throat> It'll be up. Uh, Richard, he, I mean, he laid it out in that brief little segment that I played. Yeah, uh, that's why you know, in, in some of our people, the ignorant ones of our people, the celebrities and all that, that, that jump out there. Oh, oh, he's wrong, he's wrong. You know, just like Kyrie said about reading is is his superpower. If they do some studying, then they see exactly what Doctor Smalls just stated. None of these people ever challenge. If these men are saying something wrong historically. If these men are saying something wrong historically, then you can use history to basically debunk what they're saying. None of these people ever come back with any historical evidence to debunk what these men are saying. The only thing they use is, oh, you're saying something anti-Semitic, and then they shut you down. Mm. I don't think that's the way to do it. (laughs) If I'm saying something wrong, prove it. Show it to me. Prove it. And that way I can say, oh, well, you're right. And then I don't say it again unless I'm totally ignorant. Then you just keep repeating something that's wrong. But if you want to be right, then show somebody some facts and prove it. Other than that, come on, man, with all this stuff anti-Semitic, you don't even know what you're talking about. In fact, let me play on the heels of Dr. Smalls. Let me play the comment by Candace Owens, who I don't agree with her philosophy at all. But the broke, just like Dr. McIntyre said last week, a broken clock is right twice a day. Listen to what she said and, and listen to, well, I'm going to just play what she stated in reference to this issue. It's really funny. And, you know, the, you know, Richard, that also lets me know that we got to give our people an opportunity to, to, to change. That's yep. what that's what forgiveness is about. Uh, folks that read the, the scriptures and different texts and they talk about forgiveness. That's what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness starts at home. It starts with your people. 
Our people don't have no problem forgiving Europeans, even when they don't ask for forgiveness. They can forgive Europeans when the European cop break into a man's house where he's sitting there watching Netflix and eating ice cream and gun him down, and then they can go to court and embrace him and forgive him. They can forgive him when an animal comes into a church and guns older people down while they're in there praying and having Bible study. You can forgive them. These people don't even ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness starts with your people. Some of our people have done some terrible things to their own brothers and sisters. But they do have an opportunity for forgiveness if they turn around. Now, hopefully, she's on a path where she's going to turn around. Only time will tell. But uh, let me play some of the segments that she uh, said. It was kind of interesting. I just uh, clipped off that piece. I don't know what she said in the rest of it because I didn't sit and listen to it all. But I just want to play what she said here and uh, let the listening audience judge for themselves. Absurdity of the media, the way that they are behaving in that press conference. They are essentially approaching him pretending that every single word of the documentary that Kyrie Irving did not make, he has to answer for. Could you imagine a world in which everything you watch, right, you are somehow now responsible for every single word within it? Notably absent, by the way, is the press going up to Jeff Bezos, who is the owner of Amazon, who runs Amazon, and saying, hey, why did you allow this documentary to be on Amazon? There are, there's no outcry. There's no everybody delete your Amazon accounts because of this documentary. They are putting this firmly and squarely on Kyrie Irving, which is problematic in the first place. I want to also make it clear that in listening to his words, it is pointedly ridiculous that they would say that he is unfit to be associated with. There was nothing that he said, but I would say that he is unfit to be associated with because he says that that is not what I said. Do not attribute every word in this documentary to what my beliefs are. He also very clearly stipulates to them when they ask him, are you anti-Semitic? He clarifies that he's not anti-Semitic. Now, why is Kyrie Irving saying that? Why is he saying I can't be anti-Semitic? That he hails from maybe Africa or from Asia, which is what the documentary explores. I'm going to give you my feedback because obviously I watched the documentary after listening to this, right? His feedback is, do not make the word Semitic just about Jewish people in America. It includes a lot of other people, okay? Now, you might disagree with that. You might disagree with the Oxford Dictionary definition, but you can't be mad at him for stating the actual Oxford Dictionary definition, The last thing that I want to say here, uh, just regarding his press conference, and I I want to say this really from the heart, because there was so much pressure that was put upon me to condemn Kyrie Irving, right? To condemn Kyrie Irving based on this press conference, to basically decide that his pain is irrelevant. When I watched this press conference, I felt Kyrie's pain. I felt his pain, and I will say this emotionally and not rationally, as a black person, People don't often think about how bizarre it is that we don't know where we come from, right? We don't know. If you ask the majority of white people, they'll say, oh, my family's from Scotland. My husband's family can go back so many generations and talk about where they're from in England. And when you talk to most people, they have this sort of cultural understanding of their history. We don't. It's a weird feeling. You do sort of feel out of place. And yes, of course, it's because of the slave trade. And I'm not throwing that on anybody. I'm not saying that it's somebody else's fault. But what Kyrie Irving says is that you can't pit atrocity against another atrocity and basically say that his pain doesn't matter, that his 
noble pursuit of wanting to know where he came from, even if he landed on the wrong conclusions, is something that he is valid in feeling. It's a journey that he is valid in wanting to go on and wanting to partake in. So no, I'm not going to turn my back on Kyrie Irving and pretend that he's an awful human being based on this press conference. It's wrong. There are a lot of people that feel that they are in pain from the Jewish community because they're upset that he shared this link. But also, if you're not paying attention, there are a lot of black Americans that are telling you that they feel that they are in pain because you're telling them that they're not allowed to feel the way they feel about not, about not understanding their roots. Mm. <laughs> uh, Richard, you know, uh, I, I guess old habits is hard to break. She's still holding to, uh, you know, to the, the, uh, the master's coattail, so to speak, because she said, uh, you know, this is because of slavery, but I'm not blaming anybody and I'm not pointing yeah, any fingers. You know, I mean, it's, it, that's, I mean, it's so, um, it, and, and, and look, um, on what, you know, and I, you know, as she said that, and she said she empathized, she felt Kyrie's wrestle with the, the point of not being able to say clearly. And this is a woman who's married to a white man, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and primarily in white circles. Yeah. So she gets to hear a lot of white people as they have that expression about identity, family identity or family lineage. And she says, I recognize how that feel. Cause she's in that world. So you want to input and you have nothing to give. To be equal amongst those you choose to be peers in that realm, which is really fundamental, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, your your family lineage that you can't even acknowledge that in that kind of way. That that's that that I, I think that that's you know black people do feel that, and we wrestle with that, and we probably even suppress it to not even deal with it. And the question is how healthy that is. But that's one point. I thought that was, uh, you know, and, I felt and, her. I felt her pain. And you notice what she said, Richard, because that goes to when you talk about the circle she's around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she let something slip when she said that she was under constant pressure yes. to disavow. Now, wait a minute. She ain't in black circles. In fact, a lot of black people don't like her or like her views. So mm-hmm. who is pressuring her to get out there and, and the same ones that pressure Shaquille O'Neal or Charles Barkley or uh, uh, Stephen Smith, uh, 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 Reggie Miller to get out there and say stupid statements in reference to Kyrie. The same ones that pressure them pressured her, mm-hmm. but she didn't acquiesce to that pressure at that particular time. Like I said, maybe she's going to change. I hope that she does. Maybe this is a turning point for her. I hope that it is. But what she said in that clip that I played was very interesting for people to hear. Um, you know, Richard, Dr. McIntosh mentioned something last week when he talked. And he said it several times about the, uh, the ADL being a spy organization. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't focus in too much on the AD. You know, you see what they do and they do what they do. But after he was mentioning that, I was saying like, wait a minute, let me go and do little, 
you know, some cursory research on what he asserted. And I want to share some of the things with the Time for Awakening audience. Uh, before we do that, let me play this last clip of um, Etan Thomas talking to Craig Hodges, who lost his job, similar to Colin Kaepernick in the NBA, and also Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, who was banished from the NBA because he didn't salute the flag. Uh, wasn't standing to salute the flag. They gave him plenty of warnings. He, he held to his ground, and then he was out. These two men was talking with Eton Thomas, a former Washington Wizards player. I think Thomas played for a couple other clubs, too. But he had him on a podcast, and uh, they gave their opinions before they went into conversation about this situation, and I want to let the listening audience hear, just in case they didn't uh, didn't hear it. I'll play that. The NBA is, you know, it's, it's progressive and it's it's different. It's not like the NFL and the days of the past are, are gone. And when an athlete stands up for something that people don't agree with, they'll still be embraced and all this stuff. But we're seeing right now with Kyrie Irving, that's that's not the case at all. So I, I wanted to get your reactions um, from what you're seeing, what you're seeing going on, specifically with the bashing collectively. Um, you know, kind of immediately before anybody even knew all the details of where Kyrie stood or what he thought or anything like that. It was just kind of a immediate bashing. Um, I'm gonna start off with you, uh, Craig Hodges. What, what, what was your first initial reaction to seeing everything? Well, first of all, man, I just want to thank, you know, the ancestors, man, and, and, you know, my mom and my grandma and all the sisters who got all the brothers here, first of all. And, you know, for me, man, it's one of those things that, you know, McMood was saying earlier before we came on is the NBA talks about being progressive, but they're savvy. You know, they're savvy with their ability to utilize the media as a tool and weapon to be able to, to broadcast and put out whatever messaging they want to put out. You know, in, in 1991, when I went to the White House and gave President Bush a letter, the media basically just showed it one time. Um, it wasn't any social media. And I look at, you know, the progression of the savviness of the NBA. You know, when it got to McMood, media coverage was a little bit more. So he got, he got you know, thrown under the bus from different levels of national media. Where with me, it was just a silencing where we're not going to even cover it. We're not going to speak to him. We're not going to talk about what went on. And especially we're not going to talk about the issues that he raised in the letter. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we, where we are now. Once again, we won't get to the substance, the substantive issues that Kyrie is speaking about. We're not, we don't want to deal with the fact of what our historical legacy is. We want to deal with what has been laid out before us as the truth. And, you know, when, when you come with the reality of the facts, that's when it becomes a thing where those powers step in and are able to, like you say, bash, silence, uh, take away your bread. You know, when I look at Brother Ye, you know, my homeboy from the shy, when I look at what Kyrie is going through, you know, you can't. For me, when I look at the NBA, it's been a, it's been a sustained practice of racism. You know, when I look at the, the issues that have gone on with myself and brotherhood, my mood, you know, you can't deny it. And, and what is, what has been able to do is they swept it under the rug thinking that it would never raise its head again. And it's going to come back. It's going to continue to come back until you actually do something, something to actually make a, and the issue go away. And until you have some type of truth and reconciliation 
type situation going on where people aren't afraid to speak to the issues forthrightly. It's not going to happen, brother. um, It's it's unfortunate because it's like all it takes is the right topic for that progressiveness um, to be completely wiped away. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, it's okay being progressive, you know, on certain topics that are okay, you know, accepted or whatever, but all it takes is that right topic. And, and it's, it's just interesting. What, what was your reaction to it? Well, um, just slightly reiterating what we talked about before and what brother Craig just said, man, uh, man, there's so much to say about this, this issue. Time. Um, so many things were crossing my mind, man. Uh, one of, one of the, th- fact that when when I you know Kyrie is is just being unapologetically who he is and I think he's he's a, he's a young man whether we agree with him or not or anyone you know the fact that he is courageous enough to throw his ideas out publicly to see how they're going to bounce back this is a part of growth this is how you grow as a human being you know um and uh I, I that's that's the first thing and I think as a result of that being who he is as an athlete uh, and he's articulate. I talked to him for about an hour, you know, months ago. Mm. Man, uh, I mean, many months ago. And, you know, his his whole thing, man, he's just on trying to evolve as a human being. Kyrie, he can be. And he understands that he's learning. And when you're learning, there's going to be some missteps along the way. None of us are perfect. We're going to say things that, oh, I could have said that better. We're going to say things ah, that was totally inaccurate. And we're going to say things that, you know what, regardless of what you say, I'm holding on to this thought and I'm owning it. And this is what I believe, whether you like it or not. And so mm-hmm. he's moving in that way. And and establishments like the NBA and other establishments, whether it's the ADL, whoever these organizations are, they don't like that type of brass con- black man. That's gonna mm-hmm. that's gonna be out there like that. So I knew when he was speaking like that, especially mm-hmm. if it's anything related to something dealing with Jewish. Teach. There's this there's this immediate condemnation that comes, and this silencing. This and I call it it's 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 uh it's intimidation tactic to really Teach. discourage discussions. This is what I believe, and I, I was reading something this morning, and there's mm-hmm. this statesman, Alan. Uh, Ebon, distinguished statesman, years ago, and it still holds mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. When we think about just like what uh, 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 A. Chappelle was talking about last night, and mm-hmm. nothing he said, nothing he said was anti-Semitic, right? But this is, but this brother, this 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 Ebon uh, 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 Abba Ebon, this distinguished statesman, said some years ago, mm-hmm. one of the one of the chief tasks of any dialogue with Gentile, non-Jewish world is to prove that the distinction between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism is not a distinction at all. Zionism is merely the new anti-Semitism. In other words, this is a bigger issue. Anything (laughs) related to saying something about a Jewish person, a Jewish community, or uh, Jewish policies in Israel, right, is going to be branded anti-Semitic to silence you because they don't want to deal with that discussion because it's going to always back to that. So they're linking, right, anything associated with 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 Jew, Jew, Jewism or Jewishness to you must be against all Jews. Right? 
so on and so forth. And so, right. I mean, it's just, Eton, it's, it's so much, so much. Yes. So this yes. is like just a few of the things I'm thinking about among many others. I know we'll get into, I don't want to hog the mic. <laughs> but, no, uh, we'll get into it all. Yeah, real deal. It's interesting that you Yes, yes, yes. And you see these discussions. <laughs> Richard, you know what I'm like. You know what I'm like. <laughs> you see these discussions. Are, you see these discussions are going on. Mm-hmm. And it is time for our people to realize that we need to have these discussions among ourselves because you got too many of our people deciding with these other people against their own and it's really becoming to real obvious now and especially ones that people thought was their friends in their corner things like that it, you know the, the, these discussions got to be had you know you hear some of our people oh we got to have the uncomfortable conversation with Europeans Europeans don't want to have any uncomfortable conversation. It's been 400 years and they ain't had no uncomfortable conversations <laughs> with you. It's time to have the uncomfortable conversations with our own because there's too many of our own that has been co-opted or used by other people. And in order for us to move forward, we have to have these conversations. That way people can determine what they want to do. You got a free will. You do what you want to do. But at least it can be aired out in the court of public opinion exactly where you stand. And if I may, Elliot, and you know, to add on and fashion, because out of this, like you said, I mean, this this gets into well, what are you afraid of, right? Um, and and for me, the fear is when we move, when we have that intergenerational. Because what what I hear is that. This now, this intergenerational, again, discussion about what is right, what is fair, but how it has political consequences, political consequences. Because when, as, as the brother said, once it gets into dealing with the politics of where this comes from, now policy, either policy has to be shaped from this vantage point, or policy has to be um, domestic and international policy has to be viewed from this dem- from this vantage point. So we, yes, we'll be able to acknowledge, you know, having this discussion that we agree this is not right. I mean that we can't that we you know this censorship around something and being accused of something that it, really that's not the intention, but that it has political consequence that it has economic consequence then it's on us to push policy that where it doesn't have that consequence because we could talk forever and as as has been said some people have political and economic power to use that in their interest and to their favor well it's time for us to be able to use political and economic power from our conversation to where we can be able to express not 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 express what it, we think should be how people should be seen in the what in the in the in the in the sphere of public opinion and in the political and economic arena 
You can't, you can't take somebody's livelihood for something that they didn't say. But then you're not going to touch somebody. You ain't even going to touch their capital investment, who is the one that's perpetuating so other people can hear what somebody said. That don't make sense. And they're going back to what um, um, well, can you know, But it makes sense if you don't really look at, look at them as being equal to you. Similar to what right. you read in 1837. Mm-hmm. The attitude is there. If you really don't consider them equal to you, then you can do something to him, at the, but not do something to the other guy. There you go. And then and black folks are left asking the question, like, well, wait a minute. Why did you come at him, but you didn't come at Jeff Bezos or whoever? Right, right, right. There you you don't have to ask that question if you understand history and understand who you're dealing with. You don't have to ask those questions. Dr. Small is absolutely right. And some of our people, when they hear these men talk, oh, I don't want to go back into that history again. Wake the fuck up. Excuse me. Excuse me. I, I'm sorry. Come on. Our people got to wake up. You don't have to ask that question then. You don't have to ask it. The only thing that remains is what you're going to do about it. How are you going to strategize to do something about this? Let's take a brief break. And when we come back, we got some callers on the line. We'll go to them. Uh, you can get online and get involved with 215 215- uh, 490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. Brother Richard, on time for an awakening media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at time for an awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. 
you are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family, to join your interconnected commit to you black communities, escape the digital plantation now, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. A new era, a new phase of the struggle, where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years, to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we are getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregationists, people devoid or thinking they're devoid of racism, do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality. And uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh, to go, but so far. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America. We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Thank you. Whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power. One of their time-honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who've achieved recognition. But look at Raph Bunch. Think about Lena Horne or Marian Anderson. Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young, but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. For virtually everyone you name, I can give you a sordid piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated humiliated. Not being able to fight back is a form of severe punishment. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document, 
can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own Emancipation Proclamation. Let anybody take your manhood. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back uh, to Time for an Awakening, uh, Sunday edition. We're in open forum this evening. Uh, you can get involved in the conversation while we're still on by dialing 215 490 it's 215-490-9832. It's 833 here in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, Richard. Yes, yes. Uh, before we uh, go to phones, we got some callers that's been waiting a while. Um, let me, let, in fact, wait, wait a minute. Let me, let me, uh, let's go to uh, one of them that's been waiting a long time, and he's uh, in another. Let's go to Canada. 647, 647. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Uh, how uh, you you guys are on fire tonight? <laughs> sounding sounding like uh, a John William Coltrane solo. You. that's 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 honorable. <laughs> that John William Coltrane. Go ahead. Well, I wanted to say that uh, Kyrie. You know, a lot of people. Uh, Kyrie is is of African, and he's also Native American, a First Nations background. Uh, Kyrie is a Muslim, and uh, Kyrie is probably probably one of one of the most uh, charitable. Uh, you can't find anyone more char- charitable than Kyrie. I mean, this man just basically. If 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 the cause is good, Kyrie will will will, will dedicate it uh, 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 to you. And uh, you know, I think that uh, Kyrie is the whole thing about shut up and dribble. Uh, you know, Kyrie is refusing to 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 shut up and, and dribble. And as Archie Shep used to say, that it's always been a question of a, uh, a European control over. African creativity and uh, Oscar Brown Jr. always used to say that, you know, white folks uh, don't even want us to control a a Mickey Mouse club. You know, it's like uh, we have to, we can't, we can't, we we, we can't control anything. And the second thing I wanted to say is that yesterday was the birthday of, 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 of Jimi Hendrix Pardon me. And I remember one time I was talking to a brother, a guitarist from the Democratic Republic of Congo named Diblo. And I asked uh, Diblo, uh, he he plays music called Sakus from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And he was on, it was a, it was a long distance call. And I asked him, 
have you ever heard of Jimi Hendrix? And he dropped the phone and he started laughing. I mean, he was laughing. He was laughing, laughing, laughing. He says, what, what do you mean I've ever heard of Jimi Hendrix? He says, every Sunday we have Jimi Hendrix contests in the Congo, you know, in, in Kinshasa. And we want, you know, everybody's trying to play like, 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 like Jimi Hendrix. And, uh, you know, like I said, yesterday was Jimmy's birthday. And Jimmy played with Little Richard. He played with Wilson Pickett. He played with the Isley Brothers. Mm-hmm. And he was real close to the uh, uh, Black Panther Party. Uh, very sympathetic of the Black Panther Party. And his grandmother uh, started the uh, AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal. I don't know if it's African Methodist. African Methodist Episcopal or was just the African African Methodist Church, but she started the uh, his grandmother started the, that church in uh, in, uh, in in Vancouver, and um, I met Jim Hendrix one time in, in in Toronto when he was he got busted for for some pharmaceutical issues, <laughs> and I had a long long talk with him in. Uh, uh, you know, he's been he, like uh, Europeans will take our take our folks from us. You know, Jimmy was, you know, Jimmy played the blues, and you know, one of Jimmy's problems was that he would upstage. Like he 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 was with Little Richard, and you know, it'd be very difficult to upstage Little Richard. But little, but you know, Jimmy would upstage. Uh, he would upstage the Isaac Brothers. He upstaged Little Richard. And he upstaged Wilson Pickett, and he basically was uh, he he basically had to go to Europe. <clears throat> Pardon me, because uh, a lot of people, you know, they were basically intimidated by him uh, because he was so charismatic, you know. And that's why, and he was definitely not a rock and I mean he he was a blues player. He wasn't no rock. I mean, he, all of that blues stuff is you know we we be imitating the imitator. And you know all of those, those those rock musicians, they're trying to play the blues. You know Eric Clapton, all those guys, they're imitating us, and then they got us imitating. We're imi- well, like, like John Henry Clark used to say, we're imitating the imitator. You know what I mean? Okay. Mm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I'm gonna shut up and let. let I want to hear what the other what 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 what, what seek. Keep up the fire. Let you guys keep up the fire. Listen, thanks for your contribution. Yeah, hey, listen. You, before before you go, you heard what? The, and, you know, I, I, that was in the, the clip that the, I played. The doctor, you heard what Doctor Small said about uh, uh, Sam Cook and and uh, and some of the others. Did you catch what he said? Sam Cook, Sam, Sam Cook was Sam Cook was assassinated like Otis Redding, right? Okay, uh, I just I was I knew you caught that. I knew you caught what he said. All right, thanks for your contribution. All right, take care. Talk to take you. Care. Richard, before we go to uh, the next few callers, let me share because uh, again, Doctor McIntosh when he was on last week talked about, uh, you know, he's against Kyrie having to donate money to a spy organization. You remember he said that several times. Right. And, you know, that kind of caught me off guard because I would, you know, I wasn't, like I said before, I don't focus in on what they're doing to that degree. But then I said, let me look up some things because, you know, 
a lot of times on, on you know, when we on here, we like to give stuff that's, that's, you know, factual. We try to do homework and bring out stuff that, you know, that you might not hear on popular black radio, but it should be played. I mean, this stuff that we do, it should be, you know, on some of those talking heads, the few talking heads that we have, these issues should be raised among the black community, but they're not. But let me read um, a couple things here from some published reports. Um, this was from a published report called The Forward, which is a Jewish publication. And it was February 25th of 2021 by the CEO uh, of the ADL, Jonathan Greenblatt. Um, I'm not going to read the whole article. I'm just reading excerpts from this article. He's addressing uh, different Jewish organizations. He said, over the last several years, the ADL, the global leader in fighting anti-Semitism, uh, and the Secure Communities Network, the official safety and security organization of the Jewish community, which works under the auspices of the Jewish Federation of North America, and the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations have worked closely to coordinate with one another as well as with Jewish communities and law enforcement. Our organizations differ in focus and initiatives, but we share a commitment to the Jewish community. For 100 years, ADL has worked to stop defamation of Jewish people uh, through advocacy as well as monitoring extremism. Uh, secure communities a network made up largely of professional law enforcement and security and military officials. Now, let me read that again. Secure communities network is made up largely of professional law enforcement and security and military officials is dedicated to the physical protection of the Jewish community. Data, intelligence, information sharing are vital uh, to security. We are in an age of which criminal elements often move faster than intelligence, and it is critically important that we ensure intelligence efforts are as efficient as possible. Our organization has strengthened our intelligence centers to respond to this rise. We have begun to co- uh, collaborate on all three phases of intelligence, collection, Analysis, dissemination, working together, we can better gather the latest information, parse to discern trends, identify concerning groups or individuals, determine how serious the threat may be, and share information with the community, allowing people to better empower and be protected. Now, Richard, that was Jonathan Greenblatt addressing this forum. Uh, just in case you might not remember or don't know, Jonathan Greenblatt was the former special assistant to Barack Obama mm. from 2011 to 2014. Now he's the CEO of the ADL. Obama, uh, the black people's friend and, 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 and confidant. He was the king of black folks. I mean, some of these black folks, they, they swooned over when you mentioned Obama. But you see who this guy 
work with. And now what he's doing. And the thing about collecting intelligence, you hear what he said. Mm-hmm. And this so other, and this, I just for a point, and this intelligence collection being anti-Semitic is dealing with um, Jewish or Israeli people specifically. Is that would that would that be a correct interpretation? Well, I mean, that's what it's saying. But come on, if you're collecting intelligence, you heard Dr. McIntosh say last week that certain things were sold to other countries. Mm. If you're collecting and sharing it with law enforcement, in fact, they said this one wing is made up almost solely of, uh, I just read it. Um, mm-hmm. um, let me find it again. The, the SCN, the Secure Communities Network, is made up largely of professional law enforcement and security and military officials. So it, it, if that's not intelligence gathering, I don't know what is. Because as soon as these guys say anything, on social media, in, in, whether they interview, this stuff is out. You don't even know it, and, and then you—it's out. Now let me read this here. Now keep in mind, Jonathan Greenblatt—he's the head of the ADL now, but he used to be the special assistant to Barack Obama. Let me read this here, and this is from now. That's from. 2021 he's now the ceo of adl in 2011 to 14 he was a special assistant to barack obama right mm-hmm. okay let's uh let's look at this one here and this is from fbi.gov uh it's entitled fbi the header is fbi and adl working toward a world without hate And this was James Comey who was addressing the ADL at this time. And this is April of 2014. This is right on their site. It says the FBI works with the ADL to host civil rights training in our state and local counterparts throughout a number of programs. Now, when he says our state, I assume he's talking about Maryland or Washington, D.C. We've made law enforcement and society training mandatory for all National Academy participants, just as it is for all new agents. Together, we create the Hate Crimes Training Manual, a fantastic resource for our law enforcement partners across the country. Now, this is the FBI talking about the ADL. This is James Comey, who was the former director of the FBI. Under who, Richard? Do you remember? Obama, what? Oh, yeah, Uh, under Obama. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he also, listen, he he was a registered Republican, but Mm -hmm. he was Obama's FBI director. Uh, Scratch your head there. Uh, I I thought Republicans were supposed to be sworn enemies of black folks. He worked for Bush, Obama, and then Trump, but then Trump fired him, if you remember. (laughs) Now, let let me finish what he said about the FBI and ADL working together on a whole host of things, training manuals for National Academy counterparts. Uh, Let me go down a little bit. The ADL, of course, has even a greater reach. You trained more than 12,000 law enforcement personnel last year alone, and I want to thank you for that. This past January, 
your North Texas, Oklahoma office work with the FBI Dallas division to sponsor uh, one day seminars for more than 160 federal, state and local law enforcement officers from 40 different agencies. And of course, we're educating ourselves too. 2010, the FBI employees have participated in more than 105 training sessions sponsored by the ADL on extremism, terrorism, hate crimes in 17 states and here in the district. Uh, Your own Michael Lieberman, director of the Civil Rights Planning Center, will speak at the FBI's uh, Civil Rights Conference in Boston on May 13th and in San Francisco in June. So if that's not working in conjunction or hand in hand, listen, the FBI is not a civil rights organization. It's not a human rights organization. The FBI is a spy organization. They're the ones that said that you were black identity extremists. You remember that? Yep. Who's right there with them? According to James Comey, the ADL is right there with them. They help train them. They form manuals. So now when black people seen where a lot of these police were learning all these chokehold tactics, knees on necks and all that stuff, and they was learning them in Israel, you start to connect the dots. Can you, mm. can you connect them, Richard? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So maybe, maybe Dr. McIntosh wasn't just, just saying things. Because you see a lot of stuff being said all over. But he wasn't saying things, just saying it. Now, and it, was, now, and it really, wasn't just dated back then, you know. Oh, this is not. This is now. Yeah. Now, let me read something else and something to consider. Because, you know, you hear people talking about, oh, we don't want to get involved in no politics, this, that, and the other. When these other people know that being in control of people is key. Now, whether you want to deal with, whether you want to term that politics or whatever, you, you put any label you want on it. Being in control of people is key. Now, you remember that when uh, uh, Brother Connie and, and, and uh, Brother Obi was on and he was talking about that thing that Obama set up. Right. African Leadership Foundation. You remember? Right. Yep. <clears throat> now, and I just mentioned to you about Jonathan Greenblatt, who was Obama's special assistant, and now the president, the, the CEO of the ADL. Right. If you look at the African Leadership Foundation's uh, past board members, you'll see near the top is Jonathan Greenblatt. Mm. Of the Young African Leadership Foundation, Jonathan Greenblatt, former special assistant to Obama, now the head of the ADL. <clears throat> what was he doing uh, in leadership of the African New African Leadership Foundation? What, what, what's, what's the connection there? See, see, some of these people are playing chess, and some of our people, some of our people is playing checkers. You ain't even in the game. You don't know the rules. You don't know what's going on. Information is key. Kyrie was right. Reading is our superpower. 
and then putting these things as action is even more power. Two other things that I want to go on to before I um <laughs> before I pass the mic on to these calls that's been waiting. Because I just read to you two people, Greenblatt and Comey, that are heavily involved with working with the ADL. Former FBI director. So they share information all the time, right? Right. And you mentioned last week, if you remember, Richard, about the money. When you said, well, where they get this money? Where they getting the money? You remember when you said that? Right, right. Let me read to you uh, this. This is from the ADL.org. The header says, two former Department of Homeland Security secretaries joined the ADL to protect vulnerable religious community from violent threats. This is New York, April 2nd, 2019. Former Department of Homeland Security secretaries, Michael Chertoff and Jet uh, Jay Johnson. You remember those two guys? There you go. They were, they, you know whose administration they were members of. Obama. Oh, okay. It says former Department of Homeland Security uh, secretaries Michael Chertoff and Jay Johnson will co-chair a new community safety security task force convened by the ADL. The leading hate organization, a leading anti-hate organization. The Secure Communities Network. You Now, you remember when I read that before about the right. Secure Communities Network? Right. You, you see who's chairing it, according to this article. Michael Chertoff and Jay Johnson. The Secure Communities Network will enhance safety, security, and uh, resilience of religious communities. That, that just It just says religious communities here. Uh, the task force will develop best practices to increase coordination and cooperation related to incident tracking, information sharing, reporting, and assessing threats. You see that, Richard? Right. Uh, protecting our communities and creating cross-face relationships with both promote unity with our diverse society and also add critical resources to our security arsenal, says Michael Chertoff, former Secretary of Homeland Security under George W. Bush. Law enforcement alone cannot protect our communities. Uh, we need to prepare to work with law enforcement and maintain awareness of threats that they may face, says Jay Johnson, former Homeland Security Director under Barack Obama. A working group will include members of the ADL and the Secured Communities Network, a range of faith community leaders as well as representations from local, state, and federal law enforcement, among others. Um, and then I got uh, two others about where some of this money um, because after these organizations was formed you see the date I said 2019 right 
The Anti-Defamation League, and this is from the Jewish Insider on April the 20th, 2021. The ADL is calling on Congress to appropriate more than $750 million Mm. for programs to combat hate and extremism and improve law enforcement procedures. On Friday, the White House, excuse me, uh, following the release on Friday of the White House fiscal year 2022 budget proposal to Congress. Mm. The second consecutive year, the ADL is requesting that congressional appropriations double funding for nonprofit security grant program. $360 million, uh, excuse me, double it from $360 million up from $180 million. Uh, the need continues to be greater than the resources provided, says Mac Slavery, ADL's vice president for government relations, in a letter wrote to leaders of the White House and Senate Appropriations Committee. Uh, Congress should significantly increase funding for n- this nonprofit religious institution and other nonprofit organizations that government and law enforcement authorities uh, are on high risk of attack. Other organizations include the Jewish Federation of North America, Orthodox uh, Union, and Orthodox Union Israel of America are calling on increases also. So, wait a minute, Richard. They went to Congress to ask for all of this money, $750 million. They had $360 million, I mean, $180 million last year for a specific program, this securities grant program, but they wanted doubled to $360 million. So, when you, ask where, is this, when you ask where is this money coming from, you see where it's coming from. It's coming from us. But black farmers couldn't get the money that they were supposed to get, and they didn't get zilch, nada, nothing. And you got blacks sitting up there in Congress that let that happen, including Warnock and Booker, who Schumer threw under the bus when I played that clip. I just wanted to throw that out there. To to lend credence to what Dr. McIntyre said on his program about being a spy organization. I mean, what is it? I just read to you some of the things that's that's posted right on the FBI site. And information that's in Jewish publications. This ain't nothing that's in some off-color stuff, uh, fake news type of thing. These these things are on so-called reliable publications. Go ahead, Richard, before I... uh, The thing is that, you know, that's sticking in my mind is we know where the money is. We know what the the activity is, but it's direct. The mission is directed to specifically to protect one group of people. That's that. I, I mean, that's what I want to make sure I'm I'm hearing all of it. All well, no, of the techniques. well, no. Some of it. Some of it include. It's like a umbrella. It includes uh, uh, um, religious institutions that may be under attack. Now. Okay, I don't think that's really referring to black institute, but Scott, I didn't know of any black institutions that got any money because mm-hmm. uh, they might be attacked. Mm. 
And you got plenty of black churches all around. You got black churches here that uh, that uh, some of their ministers, popular ministers, is on the, the black talk station here. I never heard them say they got any money. I don't know whether Mother Bethel got any money. Mm-mm. So and I definitely that, didn't get no intelligence because the shooting up the church, the shooting in Buffalo, the sh- I mean, the, the young boy that, that uh, ran off, you know, came across state lines. Now, I mean, those would be where the intelligence network would be showing that it's being effective as it relates to. Well, um, the intelligence network was effective, Richard. If you remember when that guy went in the Buffalo market and shot up the place, <laughs> he was on social media with about 30 something other people, including, <clears throat> including retired agents, including retired agents or agent, put it that way. Uh, the, the public report said agent. So I'll just go on what this says. Agent. I'll leave it singular. That story died. You don't hear any more about it. Nothing. Let me go to a couple of these calls. <clears throat> Let's go to 267. 267? Yes, uh, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. A great program, like always. But that brother who calls from Canada, I got to talk to him, man. And uh, I want to say a few things and um, start with Professor James Small. I've been his presence who's still going strong because now his base is understanding of history in the African and Africa and the African American here in America. And, uh, of course I like that career of him and, you know, all he says and what he stands for, for what I can see. But Candace always is a white woman to me. She's not even worthy of the mention, but I want to go to what that brother said about Jimmy Hendrix. I played bass. And he hits a lot of stuff, man. He let you know, please let me talk. Yeah, when he mentioned Jim, Jimmy Hendrix, I said, that guy, I got to talk to this guy. I've been studying Jimmy Hendrix man, since I was 13 years old. And uh, my grandfather told me the, group, uh, the blues on the guitar. And he's, he's like a whole lot of people who understand Jimmy Hendrix. And, and, uh, and the people who don't understand him, it's a shame because he was blues. And I mean, he's right. He upstaged the Isley. Okay, he's, he paid for Ike and Tina Turner. He's all those wonderful things. Made a record with Little Richard. And the other side about it is Richard, when he couldn't make it, when he couldn't make it, what had happened, he was in playing in the village of New York. And there's an elected lady land right now. He built that studio in New York, and nobody ever goes there. They don't even know that much about it. Jimi Hendrix and people go to Seattle and gather around his grave every September but let me because he died then but Chad Chandler from the Animals brought him to England and when he brought him to England they they saw something that they wanted to always have a blues man he, and people don't know that when Jimi Hendrix was around a lot of enemies man and he was being robbed by Jeff Jeffries who, who Produce the animals. I'm gonna say this much like I'm gonna be too much longer. And I, this, I respect the Beatles for this because they knew Jimmy Hendrix didn't have anything. He stayed in Ringo Starr's apartment, okay. And it was and now he needs to stay in Ringo Starr's apartment. 
when, when he blew up in England and Europe and how he blew up across the waters, he couldn't make it in America. Paul McCartney said, listen, man. He said, I can't make it through. Our, our band can't make it through Woodstock, Jimmy. I want you to do a favor for me. Jimmy said, well, he said, go to Woodstock. And that's how Jimmy Hendrix blew up over in America. I want to talk to that guy, man. That guy has some information that I like to talk to him about. But I like what he said about Jimmy Hendrix, man, because people don't understand. He's a very underrated guitarist, but he's the greatest guitarist dead. I like the program, Elliot. You and Richard, you're doing a good job. I'll listen to the rest. Uh, let me let me ask you this before you go, because you mentioned uh, about Owen, Candace Owens. Uh, yeah. What did you find objectionable to what she said? Well, she said she just happened to say something good with a, just, a twisted analysis. Okay. She, she's not on our side. That's Wait a minute. Wait, hold it. Say that again. You lost. I said she just had something to say. So she had just had to say something good about people, the enemy, and our struggle. Other than that, she's not worthy to mention to me. That's just me. That's my position. And you and I have talked about things like this before. So that's why, that's why I see that. I understand. Maybe she'll come around one day, but maybe she will not. Right now, this position, I wouldn't trust her. She's not to be trusted. Everybody feels differently with a struggle. Elliot. And I give people that position. And we all make mistakes. We're not perfect. Don't get me wrong. But I can't be with people who are slow and multiplying who hold us down and hold us back. Okay, I understand. Mm. All right. Thanks for your contribution, brother. Sure. Let's go to 505. 505? 505, are you there? Yeah, I'm listening to the program, man. Good show as always. Thank you. All right, thank you. Let's go to 215, 215. Good evening, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. How y'all doing tonight? Hey, son. Uh, praise be to Allah. But Brother, I don't even know where to start. Like Brother Tim said, so much good information. Brother Richard, when you started off, you were saying about the uh, Irish, white Irish attacking black people. You know, you made me think about the, the, the white Irishman, the devil that killed uh, our Brother Cato. When I was a white Irishman, you know, they killed Brother uh Cato down on South Street, you know what I mean? Back in 18, was it 1874? I think it might have been somewhere around that time frame. So that made me harkens back to those dark days when that Irish bigot murdered our brother, Octavius Cato, you know? So, uh, and uh, Brother Elliot, before I get deep into the conversation, I was, I was, I'm up in East Germantown. I saw one of our sponsors' trucks, uh, Dooley Brothers. They was working on the church, if I remember correctly. And I have to admit, LA, the trucks are very impressive. I'm sure the work is, is is outstanding. They do quality work, or they wouldn't be a sponsor. But the trucks were very professional. I mean, nice looking trucks they had. You know what I mean? All it. I thought I'd pass that along to the orders. I just happened to notice it when I was, you know, walking past the church yesterday. I went to the deli store, and I happened to see. It. I said, they were one of uh, they were LA sponsors, uh, you know, Dooley Brothers. You know, so. Oh, okay. Got, of it. No, I just said yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, do, okay. Dooley's a good no man. Problem. No problem at all. You know, if I talk about the deep about this uh, thing, you know, just like the brother from Canada, Carl Elliot, that didn't get lost to me because remember, brother Elliot, when I have talked to you in previous conversations about the depths of Sam Cook 
and uh, and Otis Redding. I mentioned to you on, on a few occasions we talked. I said Otis Redding, he, when, when he died in that so-called plane crash, that water that his plane was in the water that was so shallow. They said that a child, a three-year-old child, could have walked through that and survived. But yet this grown man, we we supposed to believe that he drowned in that shallow water that that a child could have walked through and survived. So that's what to let you know they murdered our brother, like 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 Professor Smart said. And same with Sam Cook. You know, they, they they try to put that narrative out there. And then it's important now if our people and Brother Richard, if our people understand how these devils do things, how they change the narrative and our people and, and that goes back to what Brother Elliot was saying, Richard, how we don't have no black investigative reporters to investigate these things and stuff. You know, just like this like the like Elliot told me last night how that white boy who was invested went and found out that Jerry Jones was on that pit was part of that crowd that was calling out people niggas at the Arkansas Nine and the fourteen year old Jerry Jones and stuff. See would have never known that, uh, Richard. That I'm um, Jerry Jones for, for people that don't know that's the the white owner of the Dallas Cowboys football team. And so a lot of our people would have never known that had that white boy not dug up, he would just been relegated to the dustbin of history. But he was out there with those white kids calling out people niggas at the end you know, of the Arkansas Nine and stuff. You know, and they tried to and, and segregate that school. And and so you, we don't have no black investigative reporters that can dig deep into the to the mysterious deaths of Sam Cook and Otis Redding. And Sam and Otis Redding, they put this nasty out there, this, this, this crazy black woman, this manager, that she shot Sam Cook and stuff. That Sam Cook was trying to attack her. He came in half naked. Well, the funeral director, brother who, who handled Sam Cook's uh, funeral arrangement, when he, when he, when he uh, got the right body ready for the funeral, he said Sam didn't have a, a bullet hole in his body. Listen, this is, I want to listen to this understanding. He said Sam Cook did not have one bullet hole in his body. What Sam did have was bruised up face. And he had bruises all over his hands and arms like he was in a fight. You know, when you want to fight somebody, when you're fighting somebody, you know, you, you know, you give and take. He had bruises like he was in, in a defensive thing, like he had bruises on his face, his hands, his arms, everything. He said, but what, not one bullet hole was in Sam Cook's body. You know, he was basically what the brother was saying. Brother Sam Cook was beat to death. He wasn't shot to death. He was beat to death. And, 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 like, and like Professor Small said, those same people that murdered Sam Cook, Murder Otis Redding, and, 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 and they're the same ones that they, they, they do so much to our people. And that's those so-called white Jews, the so-called friends of black people. They are the ones that's responsible for that. Because see, see, what Sam Cook and Otis Redding was trying to do is what they give people like Jay-Z no credit today and stuff. They were trying to take control of that music even back then. Because that's what Sam Cook and Otis Redding, they, they was 40, 50 years ahead of the time. They were saying, look, why should these white Jewish people control our royalties, control our money? We're going we gonna to get these black artists under our label. We're going to control the money and stuff like that. And when them brothers start thinking like that, and that was back in the 50s and 60s, when them brothers start thinking like that, these white Jews say, no, nigga, you don't went too far. You got to go. So they had those brothers murdered. Simple as that. It's not no rocket science here. And Professor Smalls know exactly what he's talking about. They murdered them two brothers because them brothers was, was a threat to them. They were trying to get Aretha Franklin, Bobby Womack, all these up-and-coming artists under their wing, and they said, we're not having that. We're not having They killed them brothers. And it's a damn shame today. You don't have no black investigative reporters that can go back and, and, and look into the mistake. We just accept the fact that, that, that Sam Cook got shot by this crazy black woman and Otis Redding died in this little puddle of water on an airplane. Come on, man. I mean, we we got to be more intelligent than that, you know. But that's all I want to say on that, Ellen, for a little time. But, you know, before I talk about the, uh, Professor McIntyre, Elliot, let me say this. You know, once again, white people, like Dr. King say, when, they asked, when, they, when, they, when the interviewer asked them, do you think white people, and Dr. King said, no, they're not sincere. They only going to go but so far. And, and like you always say to me, brother, Elliot, Europeans 
they hear what they want to hear, and they think what they want to think. They 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 they, they have what they call uh, 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 total vision, whatever. They they they, they you know they just, they they don't they don't want to get. That's what I'm trying to say. I was watching the evening news before you and Richard came on tonight, and it was come up. They had a little segment with his a brother was interviewing the police about why police across the country are quitting, and of course. You know, first thing they say is because morale is low. Translated, we 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 can't kill niggas no more, and, 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 and not be at least watched now. You know, we can we still could do it in the past. There was no uproar. You know, in light of the George Floyd things, you know, we ran watched now, and they they understood me, so they upset about that. But what got me was this white cop. Now this white cop was a he was a cop in Illinois. He just retired. He was on the force for I think 15 years. He's typical of how white men think. This devil got up there and said, well, you know, these zombie times from the police department because I get tired of being called a racist. I can't be called a racist because my wife, she's mixed. She's half black and half Puerto Rican. I got nieces and nephews that's all colors. They're black. Some of them black. Some of them might be Asian, whatever like that. And he showed a picture of his wife and his family, and you could see the different doctors, his children, the lighter skin ones. And I'm saying to myself, what the hell they got to do with you not being a racist because you, you, you got black nieces and nephews and you marry a, a woman that's half black and half Puerto Rican. That don't make you not a racist. And, 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 and that's how white people think. So because you married to a, a, a woman of color, that's supposed to absorb you of your racism. I mean, you know, these people, I mean, they are just so stupid, man. It's just their mindset. is like, it, it's, it's unbelievable, man. You know, it just, it just boggles the mind. But then again, I'm not surprised. But anyway, let me, Richard, let me say this on, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the podcast. Elliot, me and Brother James, and I swear I'm not going to lie to you, but that's why I'm so glad you played those segments by, by Dr. McIntosh and Brother Smalls, and I think he played one about two beautiful brothers, Dr. Mahmoud, Aru, Ralph, and uh, Craig Hodges and stuff. And because we know the history, how them brothers were shut out by the by the NBA and stuff for that for those stand up against white racism and white Jewish control. How them brothers was pretty much white barred out the league. And I'm glad that you put, and I'm glad you gonna put on your podcast with the Herders and Tati because I swear, brother, me and Brother James, we tried. I don't know how many times to get to pull it in on, on tuning, but we couldn't get it for whatever reason. Elliot. We just couldn't get it. Man, James tried on his thing. I tried on mine. We couldn't get it. So I'm glad you put it up so maybe I, I can get it when you put it on your, on your uh, Power for the Waking Network. Like we can hear it to all the presenters in its entirety. You know what I mean, Elliot? Mm-hmm. So I, pre- I appreciate that. But let me say this real quick, Elliot, on this. On a, see, again, see, no, it's always saying, Elliot. See, why, see, it's always saying you got to have an art of listening. And like Dr. King said in that clip you and Brother Richard played, I understand the language. Understand how white folks deal with other white folks. Now, as you know, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard, in a time from Wicked Listener audience, uh, Kanye and, and this white supremacist, Nick Fuentes, had dinner with Trump down in Mar-a-Lago the other night, right? You heard about that, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. And, of course, you know, Kanye, he's all over the place. That's why with Kanye, you know, he's he going to say some stuff that's crazy. And, and, but like Professor Smart said, we Yankee, man, we don't want to chastise Kanye. We don't need no Europeans, but they ain't worthy of, of dealing with Kanye. We deal with him when he go, go too far. But my point, I'm bringing this up because, you know, <laughs> I had to laugh at the show, Kanye. You know, he goes down to Mar-a-Lago. Now, think about this, Ellen Richard. Kanye just heard Trump the other day say he was going to run for president. He goes down to Mar-a-Lago, him and his white supremacist. And stuff, and he asked Trump to be his running mate. <laughs> they said Trump looked at him and said, "Dude, I'm running for president myself. What do you mean be your running mate?" I just, I just, so you know, Kanye is how to scout the skittish, skittish lady. She's all over the place, so you know it is what it is. But anyway, the larger issue is this: again, how white people, how these white Jews, how they watch their language, Brother Elliot. 
Brother Elliot and Brother Mitchell, how these white Jews watch their language they deal with their white brethren, their Anglo-Saxon brethren. Now, David Friedman, who's a staunch Zionist, I want people to understand where Brother Cho coming from. David Friedman, who's a staunch Zionist, he was the former U.N. ambassador to the Israel under the Trump administration. He considers Donald Trump a good friend. When Trump met with this white supremacist and Kanye, this guy threw a hissy fit. But, this, but, this, but dig the language to respect because Trump is still a white man. He blasted Trump. He said, he said, he said it's disgraceful that President Trump would meet with two hateful anti-Semites like, like Kanye West and Nick Fuentes, two strident, hateful anti-Semites, and he referred to Nick Fuentes as a Holocaust denier and everything. He said, President Trump, I consider President Trump a friend. He's better than that. President Trump, you're better than that. You know you don't, you don't hang around with people. Like you're better than that. But my point, Brother Elliot, he, said, uh, he still referred to him as his friend. He didn't think, listen to me, brother. He didn't say, you know, he didn't dehumanize him like they, do, like they did Kyrie or Kanye or Deshaun Jackson or any other black man who, who says something they don't like Nick Cannon. He didn't ask him to go to those sensitivity training. I was saying to myself, well, Mr. Freeman, won't you say President Trump? Won't you go to a sensitivity training meeting? Won't you, won't, won't you visit a Nazi a death camp over the Auschwitz somewhere. Why don't you, you know, visit the Holocaust Museum? He didn't put none of those demands on Trump. You follow me, Brother Elliot? Yep. Uh, uh, he was saying to Trump that he's ashamed that he would meet with somebody, like, but he still referred to Trump as his friend. We got to sit and talk, Mr. President, because you shouldn't be dealing with people like that. But where, where, where's all this vitriol that you, that you use against black men? You know, and even the ADL, they haven't released one statement yet condemning Trump. The ADL, the same ADL that jumped all over Kyrie for having a, for watching a movie, a link that he linked to his web, to his uh, Instagram. Now, one word from ADL, you know what I mean? And, 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 and uh, let me say this in closing. As much as I don't like that punk-ass Barack Obama, I'm still going to call things the way they are. We know he's a disgrace. Like you said, so-called black people suing off this Negro like he a rock star. If there had been Barack Obama met with the same people that David Friedman would have had no problem denigrating Obama. He would have been so nice with his words like, well, you know, Mr. President, this and that. He would have called Barack Obama all kinds of names and everything. But see, he, he, but see, he didn't do that with Donald Trump because at the end of the day, Trump's still a white man. So he gave Trump that respect and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Just why people understand the late how these white Jews, how they deal with, the, with, with, with their own angel sex and brotherhood, but when they deal with black people, how they come at the black people the same way. Now, and I close with this, Ellen Richard, because I know other cars want to get on. I want to take up all the time. Pat Buchanan, who's, who's a white conservative from the Nixon-Reagan era, you know what I mean? Cold-blooded bigot, conservative to the max. He has said on radio and TV some of the harsh things about Israel and the Jews and stuff. And whenever the Jewish ADL, anybody responded, Buchanan, this is what they say. Again, respect for the white, for the white man. Well, Mr. Buchanan shouldn't say things like that about the Jewish people. Or Mr. Buchanan shouldn't say things about Israel. Or they even said on the first thing, I heard some of them white Jews say stuff like, well, Pat shouldn't say things like that. Pat, oh, y'all cool with him on the first name basis. But these same white folks, Ellen Richard, when Dr. Lenny Jeffries, remember, Professor McIntosh pointed this out on the show last week. They came up and when he when he put up historical things about their behavior towards black people, they they went personal with him. They get, they always get personal with black people. They went personal. They attacked this man like he was the second coming of a Hitler or whatever like that. You know what I mean? They went out and Lenny Jeffries didn't say anything that was derogatory. He just did it from a historical standpoint. But when Pat Buchanan said all kind of vile things against them, well Pat shouldn't say things like that. He you know he shouldn't say these things about the Jewish people. See the 
like Dr. King said, the language, Brother Elder Richard, it's the language when it's their white brother and a white sister. When they always they may criticize them, but it's with respect. It's with respect. You know what I mean? They don't come with that same vitriol and personal. They're humanizing like they do Kyrie or Kanye or Sean Jackson. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying, good brothers? Yeah. I mean, it's clear as day. I mean, uh, uh, Larry Prince can see what's going on. And I just wanted to say that, Ellie, and, I, and I'm gone, because like I said, I want to get off and let other people go. And I put me on mute, Brother Ellie, and I'll listen to the rest of the show. But like Brother Tim and all the other people that called so far, good show. And Ellie, as usual, you and Richard doing a hell of a job. Man, y'all brothers keep doing what y'all doing. Our praise be to Allah. Thanks for your contribution. You're welcome. Richard. Yep. Did you get that uh, message? Uh um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, I see. You think, yes, uh, oh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, oh, hey, look, I'm here, we here. Um, let me, um, uh, you remember uh, when you, you. when you were talking about the money, um, this right. is from, um, Uh, October of this this month. Uh, now, excuse me, of this month, October of this year. Uh, another a Jewish publication. Now, remember that when I read that the ADL had formed this uh, secure communities uh, uh, thing. Uh, yeah, let me read this. This is uh, New York Governor Kathy Hochul announced twenty five million in grants to boost security at nonprofits threatened by hate. Now, notice when you, because they don't specifically say that it's just going to them. Right. But it's who's in control of dispersing the funds. Now, it says, speaking at the Jewish the Museum of Jewish Heritage in Lower Manhattan Wednesday, uh, Holcomb also announced a rollout of a new online hate reporting system meant to deploy resources immediately and effectively. And this was a quote. You continue to wear that yarmulke every single day and I will protect you, says Holcomb. This stops now. We're not letting people, I mean, we're letting people know that if they dare raise a hand against a New Yorker, they're picking picking a fight with 20 million others, starting with the governor. The grants are part of the security securing communities initiative grant, which solicits grant proposals in spring uh, for museums, uh, daycares uh, to secure against hate crimes and hate related incidents in New York. But the, she announced it at this museum and said, you can continue to wear the yarmulke every day and I will protect you. So, I mean, everybody don't wear yarmulkes. Who, who I mean, who is she talking to? She's talking to the ones, she, the, she was at this museum speaking. This was mm-hmm. the 1022, this was in October. I didn't write the specific date down, but it, it was in that month. You can pull it up on their publication. Now, here's another one. And then this is November the 7th. Kathy Hogan announced, at the opening uh, of applications for $50 million to strengthen security measures at the nonprofit community-based organization. 
at risk of hate crimes and attacks because of their ideology, belief, or missions. So, I mean, who is that talking about, Richard? That's that's the point I'm making. And look at the amount of money, um, national the national uh, trough, the state trough. Well, well wait a minute, because I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. It says uh, 46 million in federal funding, and another 50 million that the state is kicking in. In total, it's 96 million to improve safety at nonprofit community-based organizations that risk attack against hate crimes. 96 million. But I just read to you an article from October of this, this same year. This is November, and we're still in November. But I just read to you one from October where she was uh, getting 25 million. Mm-hmm. So this is a constant flow of money. Some of it's state money, some of it's federal money, but it's it's it's, it's taxpayers, it's your money, right? And to a specific group of people, yes, which goes which which goes in the face of what um what's her name in Georgia? What she said, Stacey Abrams. Yeah, yep. that you can't appeal because black folks is only thirteen percent. But you're talking about a population that, uh, according to figures, is what, 2 or 3%? Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah, tell me something else. And, and I, you know, Elliot, and, and so nobody can, so when people talk about what the condition of black people, regardless how they segment it and whatever, you know, um, you, you, you can't equate what black people ain't doing to black people to what these people, because we don't know really. I mean, you rent from the president um, to a, a NGO already to a state, to a federal bureaucracy, um, and all for the protection of one group, whether it was explicit or implicit. It's one group. So when people talk about what black people ain't doing for black people and all of that stuff, and it ain't about, it's, it's a question of what is it going on that when black people said, because we have a set, what is it? A, a Senator that said that I, I support a national, uh, 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 another uh, country, you know, I, I'm in that in their interest. I mean, they say it publicly. This is black people. I, I, I'm 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 fumbling to the point of when I hear what we're saying of what we're doing or not doing to each other, and we're looking at somebody who's in our pocket deep, and we look at the numbers and we ain't got no money. <laughs> So they taking our money and then telling us we can't talk. Yeah, and wait a minute, they're giving, they're telling your own to tell you you can't talk. Yeah. They're not really coming out and saying it themselves. They're getting your own to tell you you can't talk. On the plantation, when uh, when a lot of folks were getting beat, some of our own was doing the beating for somebody else. And we constantly focusing on 
you know, to me, I don't want to, I want to get the puppet master, not the puppet. The puppet, exactly. <laughs> but we scared to talk about the puppet master. So we keep talking about the puppet. And and he'll cut them strings and put another one up in there in a minute. We got a 28-year-old. No, I'll leave that alone. Go ahead. <laughs> Let's go to 908. 908. So who's the, let me ask you this then. Who's the, who's the puppet master there? I ain't even going to tell you. You tell me. You tell me, brother. Well, the Jews, the, well, I think all these Jewish organizations should be brought up on RICO charges. I watched 10 hours of documentaries. That's why when I hear you, Elliot, take little shots. And I know it's little, who, who the shots are at when you talk about how people don't read enough. And when they talk about control and voting, I understand the little shots of who you're talking about. Who is the the little shots at? Who's the little shots at? I just say I'm, I I just say I know, but I don't want to focus on that. I don't want to be negative. I don't want to focus on that negative. I want to ask you who's, well, money control. So you said black people don't have money, yet when you talk about, um, black people and voting, which is dumb. You talk about the people who have control, which are the money people. It's not the voters that have control. It's the money. Like I said yesterday, while the morons was watching football, I was watching 10, 12 hours of documentaries on 2007 and 2008 financial crisis. Now, all of those that was the head of the banks was Jews, what most of them was. And in my opinion, their organization should be brought up on RICO charges, which they not. I also saw a lot of the fact that Obama didn't want to prosecute the banks. Tim Geithner was in charge of the Federal Reserve. He didn't want to bring up, he didn't want to uh, bring up any indictments on the banks. The Department of Justice, the um, Attorney General, uh, the brother, he did. He's the one who told y'all too big to fail. That's where they got it from. Is him. So they control all the money. I got an idea of what black people should do, but I don't make enough money like these politicians that y'all don't hold accountable out here. That's my issue with y'all. See, y'all talk about the voters. Y'all talk about black people who don't read. Little the elites. That's the elite talk. What y'all don't take shots at the people who's on TV, who y'all comrades that's on the radio, who are you are kidding me? I've never, are I've never heard me? a politician. Hold on, I, you we don't take shot shots at, at politicians. Are I'm you kidding? Are you kidding me? Have you what program? You do you listen? To? Do you listen to this program? Yeah, didn't I tell you? Do you listen to this program? I don't care what you used to listen to. Do you do you listen to this program? We don't take shots at yeah, politicians. Listen. We don't take shots at I black media. I say take shots at politicians. I say you don't bring. I say you don't take shots at the people who bring these politicians on their shows that don't act. That's not what you said. You That's not what you, you said. Yes, I did. Yes, okay. I, yeah. Listen, I don't. I, I don't want to argue with oh, your brother. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to argue with you, bro. When the last time you brought a politician on your show? When the last time you brought a politician on your show? You might not hear one on this show. You might not hear one on this show. 
and it's for a reason too. You might not never hear okay, one on this why? show. If I'm you want to hear them, if you want to hear it, go to Sharpton. If you want to hear it, go to Sharpton. You'll hear them on there. You want to hear politicians? Go to Sharpton or Joe Madison. Listen to that. No, I want. I want to hear that. criticism of them. I don't yeah. want to hear the. Po- yeah. See, this is what you try to do. You try to make me be a dummy, but I read and conceptualize more That's than you great think. If you read. That's what you're no, supposed to no. do. No, no, you take little shots about voters. Little shots not about what? What do you, what do you, read. come and on, man, you listen. talking about that don't, don't read? Do. Just earlier today, earlier you said people don't read. The community don't read. Didn't you say that? I said some aspects of the community don't read. Now, if you remember, I, you, I if you remember, if you remember, if you remember, a lot of us saw, hey, listen, a lot of us saw that Candace Owen way before you. If you remember what I said earlier. When I introduced it with uh, Professor uh, uh, Dr. McIntosh said last week about the ADL being a spy organization. And I mentioned that I wasn't really focusing in on them. So I, I wasn't sure of that. So this week I did a little research, which is reading. So I'm involved in that, too. Until I read for myself and then shared it on the air tonight, I wasn't aware of it. So, no, I'm involved in that. Everybody's involved in it. Talking about some, take some shots. Yeah, I mean, come on. No individual is that important. Listen what to this. Pro- individual is not important. What do you mean oh, by that? Come on, man. Uh, listen, if you got something you want to raise, you did you raise it? Yeah, but I'm trying okay, to get that, back that's and good. forth. Well, no, I don't want a back and forth. When I, ask you I don't question. want a back and forth. Because it, 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 you it's, don't want to talk no back t- and forth, right? No. You just want people to go on and on and on and agree with y'all. That's what y'all like on no. these old folks show, right? That's, that's good. Because I got a lot to say. I just gave you a yeah, whole. I right. said I watched ten, twelve hours of what went on two thousand six, well, seven, eight, what, and nine. Here's the recommendation: call Shopton tomorrow, to and you, he'll right? let you talk. Shopton will let you talk tomorrow. Have a good evening, brother. Good, good. Richard. Come to yes, an end of, yes. come to the end of another program, man. Mm. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah, so uh <clears throat> before we go this evening. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. Always interesting dialogue and topics on African Perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. <clears throat> on Tuesday, looking forward to the return of Dr. William Rogers' Black Reality Think Tank, uh, hosted by Dr. William Rogers from 8 to 10 p.m. Tuesday on Time for an Awakening Media. On uh, Thursday, Mississippi on the move. Uh, the Black Liberation Movement down in Mississippi. Uh, Brother Patrick Lumumba is the host. On Friday, time for an awakening is back from ele- from eight until, and on Saturday, also the return of the elders of San Kofa with Brother Alfonso Watkins at seven to nine p.m. Saturday. Thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always. And we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. Ellie is a whole ho.
Children. To save the children. 